Hello and welcome back to Rally DNA for episode four of season two. I'm your host, Killian Cronin, and Jamie aiding me as ever as my intrepid co-host. How are you, Jamie? Superb. Thanks, Killian. Good to be back talking about rally cars. <laughs> exactly. And this week we welcome our first guest from the US of A, a man immersed in American rallying since 2007 and the current director of motorsport for Subaru Motorsport USA, the dominant force in North American rallying, Vermont Sports Cars, Dan Angtel. Welcome along, Dan, and thanks for taking the time out of work to join us. How are you doing, guys? Thanks for having me on. And you've even, uh, you really are taking time out of work because I believe you're, you're doing some prep for a rallycross test at the minute. Yeah, we, we're kind of getting on with uh, a little bit of the ICE uh, rallycross cars. Uh, they've been uh, on the back burner for a little bit since we finished this championship last year. And so we're just we're feeding into a little bit of development work with those cars. And uh, we have to get the track ready, uh, rallycross, obviously. And uh, it, it's beneficial to have the track absolutely perfect before you start, you know. So For sure. Is the nitro taking kind of more precedence now since that's going to come along? No, I mean, we're trying to finish the rally season out strong. Um, the E program for Rallycross that Vermont Sports Car is currently um, working in is outside of Subaru's um, sphere, right? So it's just uh, Lance, the owner, is is helping to fund with some other sponsorship, uh, a couple E cars uh, with Connor and Travis driving. Uh, but the championship now is moving back to stateside with uh, the next event being in Minnesota. Um which will just be e-cars and then the very next event after that will be both e and ice so this is kind of the time frame to get that all moving uh so everybody can uh be successful awesome Great new world yeah it is crazy it's it's an interesting one so to, to, to tell us a bit about yourself and and your foundations as a motorsport fan like you know you've, you've obviously got a great career in in motorsport now over a long a long few years is this something you were always interested in growing up or, or how did this all start for you? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of two things at the same time. Uh, I grew up uh, playing ice hockey and it required a lot of long trips with my dad. We had uh, just no, no reason other than it's the car he happened to have. He had it, uh, an Audi Quattro, 4,000 CS Quattro. And uh, so, you know, we would be driving in the wintertime in all sorts of weather and, and I almost enjoyed, you know, the road trips to the games as much as the the games themselves in that car. And uh, he taught me a lot about car control and and it kind of that kind of set the seed. Right. And then um, really what really took root was we had a uh, we had a family camp up in Maine, uh, the state of Maine. And uh, I was just a, a young kid. And um, no driver's license. I'm talking 11, 12 years old, something like that, maybe even younger. And uh, my grandfather, who was the caretaker of the camp one summer, said, hey, going up to the end of the driveway, there's some cars that are going to race by. And I was like, what are you talking about? I had no idea. You know, I saw some flyers about the road being closed. So that's what I did. As a young kid, my dad took me up the end of the driveway and literally one of the stage roads for the New England Forest Rally went right by the end of the driveway. Uh, cause the camp was up there. It was isolated up in the woods there. And, um, I was blown away. You know, as I had no idea what was going on. And, uh, from that moment forward, you know, we started to time our vacations up to the family camp to coincide with, with the race, with the rally. And, um, <clears throat> obviously, uh, being hungry for info, I started digging into this thing and what is this rallying all about? And, you know, I'd have a little stop watch and, and i'd understand you know time gaps between cars who's making up time who's losing time who's supposed to be next on the road i just really really immersed myself in it and um as things go when i was 15 years old so one year before you get your driver's license in the u.s i was watching uh the rally again as i had been and this car went off right there near the end of the driveway and uh so you know how this goes. The driver, co-driver, they're stranded in the woods till that stage finishes, till sweep comes through. And it gave me two or three hours to, to just pick the brain of this driver and co-driver who were Polish. There was a little bit of a language barrier there, but we really kind of talked a lot all day about rallying and, and how to get into it and what they do and, and their background. And uh, as it goes, they drove um, – Plymouth Laser, which is like the same as an Eagle Talon Mitsubishi Eclipse. At the time, the U.S. didn't get the Evo. This was like the poor man's Evo, right? It's what it's what the U.S. got. And uh, and he said, "Listen, you're going to get your driver's license 
go out and find one of these. They're, they're the DSM family is what they called it of cars, Diamond Star Motors. Um, get it all drive turbo. It's got a great engine and uh, you'll learn a lot about it. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, that year, my dad and I started shopping around and uh, we found ourselves a 1990 Eagle Talon. And that was kind of the launching point for me to not only be able to chase the rallies now on the East Coast and go to them and understand them, but also work on my own car, figure things out, get mechanical with it. I enjoyed the hell out of that side of it. Um, and that was kind of where my, my youth connected with rallying and, and really put everything in motion for me to have that desire to chase this as a, as a profession. That's incredible. I mean, I assume actually chasing rallying over there is a far more involved process than it is over here. I mean, how did you actually go about sort of following it physically when you were that age? Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, New England has a couple things going on. They have a very strong hill climb program, uh, which is not rallying, but it's still one car against the clock. Uh, so there's a small contingent of, of hill climbers. Uh, and actually in the New England area, um, you've got a lot of regionals. You've got you've got Maine, you had Maine Winter, you had O'Neill uh, Regional, you have STBR just down the road. And then over the border in Canada, um, you've got Beta Chaleur, you have Tall Pines. I mean, you can see that there's a number of rallies and they're not all the same championship, but hey, at that age, when you just want to see cars racing in the woods, you find a way, you know? And, and actually, funny enough, you had the Mount Washington Hill Climb right there in my backyard. I mean, that was literally between where my parents lived and where this camp was you drove right <laughs> past the auto road so you know oh over the years three four five years you know until i was you know 18 19 that was what my brother and i did i mean we chased rally cars all over new england and uh and he so he's four years younger than i am he ended up buying also another one of these dsm mitsubishi eclipse cars and i mean we would convoy i mean we would just go we would just we'd volunteer we'd get involved um, and being entrepreneurs and wanting to work in this industry, one funny thing that happened is we figured out that these guys would crash, right? And they'd need a way out of the woods. So one year we decided, Hey, instead of bringing our cars, we're not racing our cars. What's, you know, it's fun to have our own up there, but why don't we bring dad's truck? Right. So we brought dad's, uh, <laughs> Ute up there into the woods and uh, we would just find, like, we'd go through after sweep, right? Sweep would pull them back onto the road and they'd have some issue and they wouldn't be able to get out, but sweep's not going to pull them all the way back, right? So we'd volunteer. We'd say, hey, we'll pull you back to service. Stage is closed. Why not? And we just, we just, we were so into it, man. Like, we just had toe straps in the truck and we were our own sweep crew bringing guys back to the service parks, you know, and That's often incredible. they'd throw us a little bit of cash and cover the gas mileage. And I mean, my brother and I were doing that for a couple of years. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. What one other funny tie-in. One other funny tie-in too. Uh, one year we were up at the New England Forest Rally. It was like six in the morning, 6.30, something like that. And we're looking for good spots to watch. And this this guy came around the corner super fast. Not a rally car, just like like super early sweep or something. Gets out and it's John Buff, right? <laughs> Which is funny because like, yeah, I've worked with him since then, obviously, and he's a legend. But he gave us two hundred bucks and said, "Stay on this corner and don't leave this corner." And and I've told him that since then. He just laughs. It's funny. It's a funny story. Does he recall it? No, that's not why. <laughs> like, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> that begs the question was he was he regularly handing out 200 dollars to to random people I, on corners <laughs> he definitely yeah i mean he, he gave us each a hundred dollar bill and said don't leave this corner i'll find out if you do he was worried that we were going to go out on this hot stage you know but, yeah. oh, look he's safety conscious you know that's good yeah, yeah, yeah. So. and obviously then from there did, did you you know i mean you're you're local enough to to where vermont sports care is located you know in that you're not a million miles away from there was that then did you say right i want to go work for these guys did that lead to that internship or what happened next you would think that would be the case uh and honestly i gotta be i gotta be real with you it wasn't um the ice hockey thing was was much more i was trying to make it pro i was trying to go to college and play and, and all of that and so 
I was, uh, I was playing junior hockey. I was living in, in Boston, Mass. And um, I was slated to go play college on a, on a scholarship. And I had an injury and things kind of set me back. And at the time, my cousin was playing for St. Michael's College, which is literally walking distance from Vermont Sports Car. Okay, so I called them up. Uh, I called up St. Michael's College and said, hey, I want to come play there. It's kind of in the back of my mind that it's right down the road, you know. Um, but at the same time, I'm talking to a million colleges about where I'm going to go play. And uh, I just happened to land there. They gave the best financial package. Um, it just kind of felt right. I landed there. I chased the Vermont Hill Climb Association and all the rallying as I had been. Um, but come my junior year, see Vermont sports car is much smaller than it wasn't mm -hmm. in the big building it's in now. It was just a three bay garage. Um, Buffum had his own shop up the road, just an, a one bay garage, bunch of Tiburons and Audis in it. Um, and so I needed this internship and Vermont sports car was not offering that at the time. It just wasn't a thing, you know? Um, and I started knocking on the door. I started showing up, physically showing up and saying, Hey, I, I'm a business uh, student up the road. I need an internship uh, and I want to do it here. And, you know, I got turned down a lot. I they just, Chris Yandel, who's uh, our CMO um, at the time, I, he just kept saying, hey, listen, we just don't have the workload. We, we don't, we, I don't have time to deal with this. Like, I'm sorry. And I would give it a week or so and I would walk right back in that door and say, hey, is there anything opened up? I really want to do this. And I just kept pushing. I mean, it got to the point I'd walk in that front door and you could line a sight to Chris Yandel's desk. He'd see me come in the door and be like, oh, my God, this kid is back. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not this guy again. <laughs> yeah. Geez, I know what he's here for. So anyway, finally, the New England Forest Rally was coming up. School was ending and uh, for that year. And he's and he said, listen, they need they need someone to volunteer their time uh put together like a spectator guide and a map and like so people can go watch a vip bus for people that want to pay money and get the best spots like all that kind of stuff if you want to do that through vermont sports car for the for the for the event we'll hook up an internship and we'll make something happen and i mean i just skipped out of there you know i was i was all about it and uh you know the following monday or whatever i was back he gave me a folding desk and chair in the corner and and uh my own my own school laptop and he said you know have at it let me know and and yeah i think he kind of expected me to go back to my dorm room and i didn't i just stayed and i just i busted ass on this uh spectator guide and and it and that is what landed me working for vermont sports car i did that for a year and a half or so random projects for chris on the marketing side because i was a i was a business major and a marketing minor so it kind of fit you know and um, I just, I just, once I was in that door, you know, it was, it was going to be tough to have them get me out, you know, I <laughs> just, I wanted it bad. And so when graduation came, I had a number of choices. I, I was looking at the military. I was looking at, um, you know, construction work, whatever, whatever I could do, other business jobs that I didn't find that interesting. And uh, they said, listen, like, you're not going to make a lot of money, at least to start. Why don't you go talk to HR guy, um, Paul Gilblin was his name, and see what you can do. And uh, they put me on a $27,000 a year salary. I mean, I couldn't even eat bread, really, and pay my student loans. But I, I wanted to do it. And I said, that's fine. And I carried, I carried two jobs. Um, I, I sorted packages from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. at FedEx. And then I went straight to Vermont Sports Car and worked until God knows what hour, because, you know, motorsports aren't nine to five, um, just to make ends meet. And I, I did that for a while. Um, and it was it was brutal. It really was. Um, but I wanted to make a career of this thing. And uh, that seemed to be the place to do it. So, you know, I could talk for hours about how I grew from that position, but that's kind of where this hall came from. How long did it take them to, to realize I thought you were you're quite handy with the spanners? It was, it was part of the growth in the industry. Uh, the guy at the time who was kind of mentoring me, the logistics coordinator for Vermont Sports Car said, listen, if you have aspirations to be in this business, you need to know every aspect of it, right? So they threw me under a car. They said, why don't you turn wrenches? They threw me in a truck. I drove cross country 
so many times with the rally cars to Seattle, to Oregon, to X Games in L.A., um, you know, and just learn life on the road. You know, I'm traveling circus, get the cars there, work on the cars, get them home. And that kind of turned into helping with the movement schedules and building that that foundation to just to just do it. You know, I, I got away from the marketing yeah. side with Chris and went towards that. And I think it's a natural step when you start doing if you have aspiration to be managing things, it's a natural step to go from the, the movement schedule coordination stuff because you kind of control that right Mm -hmm. to to more management style things and and what happened is the guy that was helping me with all this who was their logistics coordinator um he was trying to climb the ladder and at the time i don't know if you know the name derek donsey or not he was mitsubishi for a long Mm -hmm. time now he's ken blocks manager etc he was our team manager at vermont sports car then so anyway i was i was at vermont sports car for another year uh taking care of their logistics and um Derek was putting in roots in the ground with Ford and Ken Block out here in uh, out in Utah, which is where I live now, um, which I'll get into. But um, Derek and I were having side conversations and he said, you know, I've got a lot of capacity out here uh, to take to take on someone. And Derek and I were working well together previously prior to his departure from Vermont Sports Car. And it, and it, and it became a real conversation, something I was kicking around. I never in a million years thought, boy, maybe I would leave Vermont sports car. I've worked so hard to get in here. Mm-hmm. Right. But Derek was pretty, con- pretty convincing. And he said, listen, you know, Clint's in place over there. He's the team manager. If you come over here, we're going to be doing WRC world rally cross Gymkhana videos, your education is going to skyrocket in this industry and you can be, you know, my, my, uh, like operations manager is what my title was at, at Ken Block's monster world rally team. So at, at that point I'd gotten married, I'd just been married. Uh, my wife had a job and you know, it was a, it was a big conversation. We, we molded over for a long time. Do we, do we move to the other side of the country to chase this thing for, for my career? which would mean she'd need to find something new. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we did, we decided in 2012 to move to park city, Utah. And, um, it was, it was the best decision I could have made for my career. Looking back at it, it was so scary. And like, am I making a big mistake? But honestly, the amount of, of maturity and education, uh, that it gave me, it, it really, it, it threw things forward on a time scale for me. I mean, Derek, Derek gave me an empty warehouse full of M sport Ford Fiesta WRC cars and said, make this something Find trucks, find trailers. You know, we're going to be building out a shop here and, and make this happen. So, you know, all of our techs at the time were flying from M sport and people Derek knew from Mitsubishi days and whatnot. So, you know, I, I continued on, heavily with the logistics side but i also obtained all this operational side you know and then with that was the travel i mean working with agencies to fly cars over across back to europe and back to the u.s and the stateside stuff global rallycross with red bull i mean it was we were running three different championships with like 10 people total for from 2012 to 2016 um it was just an absolutely wild time, but it gave me an opportunity to see the world and, and see motorsports on a, on a much larger scale and be in, be part of, you know, Jim Connor filming, which is a whole nother animal outside of, you know, trying to capture checkered flags, you know? So it's like, it was wild. It really was um, to do all that. And I don't know if you guys want to talk about my time there at all or, or, or what, but, there's a lot going on for sure. I know, absolutely. We, we'd, we'd love to cover it because, I mean, it must have been, you know, as you say, for you, an incredible opportunity, but it, it, the experience, you know, at, at that time, had you been to a World Rally Championship event or like was this going to be one of your first times experiencing that? And how big a sea change is experiencing, you know, seeing what you were doing with Vermont Sports Care to working with a Fiesta World Rally Care and going to events across the world? Yeah. Uh, Derek and I signed the deal for me to move to Utah and be a part of that team at WRC GB. I went over there 
with David Higgins while I was still working with Vermont sports car, uh, to do his rally school, Mm -hmm. uh, and then to see the rally. And Ken was competing at that event with M sport. And, uh, it was just classic, like rainy dim night. They were waiting for the cars to come into service. And, uh, you know, Derek's there and, uh, he and I met up and we'd already been talking about this. And, and I said, Hey, you know, I, I want to do this. I, I, I see what you've got going on here. This is an amazing opportunity. And, uh, we shook hands and, and that was that I went back stateside and, and made plans. And, and I, I, I actually remember it like it was yesterday. I walked into Lance Smith's office, closed the door and he kind of chuckled and he's like, "Uh Oh, what's, what's going on. And I said, Hey Lance, uh, I don't want to burn bridges. I really don't. Um, but I've got this opportunity to move West and, and, and see more of this motorsport world. And, uh, and I'd like to take it. And he appreciated that. He said, you're not burning a bridge. He said, you come back anytime you want, but, uh, go have fun, see what it's about, learn some things and, and, uh, give me a call if you ever want to chat. And that is literally what happened. I mean, that was it. Walked out the door, packed up a U-Haul and drove across country with a dog, a wife, a, my car. And that was that. So and yeah. that must've been an incredible step up in terms of the, the challenge needed to, to run and manage the logistics basically for a uh, sometime WRC assault. Yeah. Um, Derek, Derek was the, the cornerstone to it. He's been there, done that. He did it at the highest level with Mitsubishi for years, winning championships. Uh, and what better mentor could you have there? You know what I mean? Um, so he took me under his wing all those years at, at monster world rally team, which became Hoonigan racing division when Ken started Hoonigan. Um, and it was, it was big time. Yeah, it was, uh, it was select WRC events. We didn't do the full calendar, but we did, you know, Spain and GB and we did Argentina and all these, uh, all these events. And, um, I was, I was a part of it all the way through with the movement schedules and the planning um, and then the stateside stuff with the, the trucking for, so, you know, every time we went and did a WRC event, it was a rented M sport WRC car, but at the same time we had purchased kind of a, a one-off WRC car that we changed the drivetrain in to be a little stronger for the two liter engine we were using in rallycross. Right. So moving that car around the country with a truck and a trailer and, and a motorhome RV and, and the cadre of people we had stateside, right? Um, so it was just, it was, it was a lot going on. Um, to be honest, my brother, I don't know if you know of my brother, Butch, um, he was at Monster World Rally Team with us. He actually beat me there uh, by a couple months. Um, he was looking to get into the industry. Uh, this is the same brother that chased this whole thing around with me at a young age. He was trying to get in the industry. He was a technician, um, just, just, putting his time in with very small teams for basically no pay. Um, but he was young at the time. He's only 18. Um, and when I was at Vermont, I hadn't left yet. And I knew Derek was building this team and it was all that conversation. I said, give my brother a try, you know, and, and my boss at Vermont at the time put in a good word. Uh, Clint fast said, yeah, Derek, give him a try. So my brother moved out to Utah a couple months before I did and uh, started his thing. And then I chased him out here. And we, it was fantastic. I mean, think about that, right? He and I chased that whole scene for years as young kids. And now we're working at almost the highest level together in a whole different part of the country, away from, you know, mom and dad and sister and all that stuff and just on our own and making it happen. I mean, it was everything we could ever have wanted. It really was. It was just absolutely fantastic. Very blessed to have that all kind of come together in an industry we, we wanted to be in, you know? So. Absolutely. We got to realize the dream together. That's it. There's not many times that that really happens for people in an industry like that. No, it's true. It's true. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not the right word, but the, the challenge is, has always been to keep it going. You know how motorsports are, you know, and, um, he's still with Ken's Hoonigan team. He's his number one guy in the shop. Um, he takes care of more than just the rally cars because Ken obviously has a lot going on with UTVs and other sponsorships and stuff outside of the, the racing. And now the girls are coming up through there mm -hmm. and, and his son, Micah, they're going to be racing. So my brother's got his hands full. 
they're in that same shop that we opened in 2012 and it is packed with everything you could possibly imagine from vintage rally cars to the latest and greatest stuff you know from hyundai because he's racing the hyundai wrc car here stateside right. so uh good on him to keep all that going you know um my time at at hoonigan uh came to an end around 2016 into 17 uh ken reese was back at vermont sports car he's a longtime wrc guy um he they were running a an unsuccessful rallycross program let's put it that way vermont sports car work um there was a lot of trouble with the engines. They were having a hard time keeping the heads on these, on these, w, on these, uh, Subaru blocks. And, uh, Ken was kind of getting done and Lance was looking for, uh, a team manager of the rallycross program. And so keep in mind with, with Derek having had a five year, six year run there as a logistics coordinator slash, you know, stateside operations guy, uh, it was one of those moves where you, you kind of call up Lance and say, Hey, this is, this is posted. This is a thing. It's team manager level for one branch of your business. Would you be interested? And, uh, we talked a lot about it and, um, it's the odd thing. It's, it's a, it's this, it's, I don't know how to phrase this. I did a deal with Lance where I didn't move back to Vermont. I'm still out in Utah. I live right down the road from Ken Block, actually. Um, but I was able to acquire that position and and manage it and whatnot. And we thought about moving back to Vermont. Um, but to be honest, my wife has a fantastic job here. She loves her job. And I'd already made her leave a job once. You know <laughs> what I mean? A tough yeah. Sell. <laughs> yeah. So, and Derek wasn't going to leave Ken. Derek is Ken's guy. So there was not really any room for me to grow there either in the industry, if that makes sense. Right. So that's, those are the conversations I had with Lance. I said, listen, this is, this is a career builder for me. I'll come back. Uh, but I, I can't really leave Utah right now, maybe in the future, but right now I got to stay. Uh, I'll travel as much as you want. And we did a deal and I, I became the rally cross team manager. And at the time, uh, John Buffum was the rally team manager. Um, so we kind of just, we were, we were just two people running two different branches of the, the program for, for Lance. And uh, when COVID hit, uh, John retired. He, uh, he didn't want to, you know, he wanted to stay home and the series kind of took a break for a couple months anyway. And uh, he wasn't going to come back. And so things being what they are, I said, Lance, I'll take it on for you. And uh, that is how, that's how I went from, Rallycross team manager to director of motorsports because I took both those branches under my, mm -hmm. my wing. And, uh, we added to it at the exact same time, the Jim Connor videos, uh, for Travis, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, that's how that went with the sponsorships and whatnot, which was absolutely perfect. I mean, think about that. It's, it's what I had experience with it at that point with Ken. Um, so it all made sense. You know, I think the only, the only part that doesn't, the only puzzle piece that doesn't fit for Lance is that I haven't moved back to Vermont yet, but, um, you know, being a remote world now, uh, I can do what I need to do just like you and I are talking right now, all meetings all day long on Skype and, and Google and travel to the events, manage the events from that side. And, uh, he's hired the right people to manage the shop floor. So I don't have much to do with, with people and their, their time off requests and, and movement of chassis through the building, but, uh, I take care of, all other aspects of what we've got going on so wonderful stuff i mean the you taking the director of motorsport role seemed to have coincide, coincided quite serendipitously with with sort of a real purple patch for the american rally association in the last few years it appears to have, it seems from an outside point of view to have really sort of built ahead of steam uh, and got a real following perhaps you know mm -hmm. more so than it ever has you know does it did it feel like that you were sort of achieving that at the time or does it feel like that rather um so vermont had a, a fantastic run with higgins for years there um david won a lot of championships dave and i are, are very good friends uh, but we were competing against David when I was on Ken's team. We mm -hmm. had that, we had that kind of mutt WRC slash built for the U S championship M sport Fiesta. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what pushed Subaru to or Vermont to get budget from Subaru to build the, the car that is 
basically today's car, the very first version evolution of today's Subaru rally car uh, was created to compete against that M Sport Fiesta back then. Um, David got the best of us <laughs> every damn year, um, <laughs> even by a point at LSPR. Uh, what was it, 2014 or 15, maybe? Um, we had our fair share of wins. We beat them a lot. They beat us a lot. It was a fantastic rivalry. Um, and, it, and it continues to this day. David, uh, David um, has retired. Uh, and then Travis picked it up from there and Travis learned a lot from David, but, um, trying to keep that fight going and, and being in the motorsport director role, so much of what I do now is, uh, it evolves around dealing with the organization that you're racing with. Like, so ARA previously rally America, mm -hmm. et cetera. And what, what is good for the sport? I mean, Lance has been an advocate for growth of rallying in the U S since before Vermont sports car was even a thing. He always tries to take steps to, you know, help everybody. He doesn't want to just win by nine minutes, every single event. Right. So, and I'm going somewhere with this. Um, they always built cars, Vermont sports car, always built cars to be competitive with whoever was showing up that were going to win. Right because he has an obligation to win for Subaru. Let's say Ken had never showed up and it was just going to be David. The level of car Lance built wouldn't have been as high. He would have kept it within a box to stay competitive with what was who we were racing with at the time, if that makes sense, right? Um, so that car that David was racing against Ken had small evolutionary updates, more for reliability than anything over the years, right? Uh, and then Ken, but then Barry showed up with that WRC that he built, which was also kind of a one-off built from a number of different chassis uh, from M Sport over the years with the sole purpose of beating us. And by us, I mean, I was back at Vermont Sports Car at this point. Um, and that was a big shocker, right? Because it was, uh, it's tricky. You have, Lance has a car that's fast, but it's not going to touch that car necessarily. We would be winning on knowledge of stages and um, reliability, right? Really good, reliable drivers who can keep this thing moving. Um, and it was, it was like, what do you do? Do you throw a whole bunch of money at the car because one guy has shown up in Barry McKenna in that car. Uh, you don't want what the last thing we wanted to do. And, and it's unfortunate because we did get some bad press that was not fair to us. If I'm honest, that said, we were, we were bitching and complaining that that car was too fast and, and trying to slow it down. And honest to God, that's not really the case. We simply said, Hey, this is the rule book you guys have given everybody to race within. Mm -hmm. And we have people on our payroll who are a part of building cars like Barry's car, right? And we can tell you, if you look, there are some items on that car that might be outside the rule book. So we just want everybody to play fair, okay? Specifically the arrow. And uh, that is how we ended up getting some bad press because that's a tricky game, isn't it? You don't want to make it look like you're a sore loser, but at the same time, we have an obligation to, we build our cars to be within the rule book because you never want to give Subaru bad press in that way. Like we're building a legal car. So we said, Hey, just make sure that that car is legal. And, um, so that's what that was. And at the same time, we started building a few things with our car, taking advantage of the arrow that we never did because we didn't have to, you know, and, and just, just evolutionary stuff over the, the next year or so. And, um, would that explain the big wing that appeared earlier this summer? Yeah, the, the canards on the front, mm -hmm. uh, the big wing on the back. Uh, a lot of that stuff was derived from the Rallycross program. Uh, most of our budget over the years went more towards Rallycross. It was just more expensive and more cars and a bigger program uh, than the rally program was. So when you need to make a quick step in your rally program, where do you look? You look to your Rallycross car to say, hey. What can we take from that car? And that's what we did. Um, we we knew of some tricks with the arrow uh, to get better turn in and, and less drag, et cetera, uh, that was already developed through the Rallycross program and wind tunnels. 
And so it was simply a matter of uh, literally bolting it to the, to the rally car and testing it, making sure the theory was valid, right? Just making sure it worked on a rally stage. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the low-hanging fruit um, to make those, the, the current rally car quicker. Um, because I'll be honest, I mean, Subaru has dropped the STI program. Uh, they're not making STI road cars anymore. It's just the WRX. Uh, this shape of car, uh, is in its sunset. It's, it's, uh, it's not going to continue on. We we're going to inherit the new WRX, which is, uh, based off the global platform Impreza, uh, with a facelift. So while a lot of stuff can carry forward, we, we have to, uh, we have to keep in mind that when this, we've got what, two events left when those events are done, this car is done, you know? So how much money do we throw at it to try and maintain winning a championship against okay barry's not here anymore but now this hyundai wrc car uh, mm-hmm. with paddle shift you know we have mm-hmm. to motorsports is always evolving and you have to do what you can do and, and it's a fine line with subaru to say right we want a championship but we also don't want to spend a million dollars here to try and beat the hyundai and you also presumably you don't want to compromise yourself the next year by by pouring resources into this year too late in the exactly. day exactly exactly how do you how do you take that that budget and apply it enough now to win, but also save enough to build the next year car, right? Um, which is a huge undertaking. It'll be it'll be it'll be interesting uh, to see how this year plays out. We've had a, a number of things um, just on the sporting side that I've been dealing with with uh, dropped rounds. Like you're allowed to drop three rounds this year. Uh, we had a stage cancellation last event with the power stage, which uh, which took points away from our overall point total out of the event. So writing an appeal to try and get some points back, uh, which actually didn't end up going through because they had no precedent to do so. Um, so it's been tough. It's It's been a full plate for sure to try and get this championship done. And, and Travis is out now with that crash at Ojibwe. So, you know, all eyes are on Brandon to, to bring this one home. But it's been a very healthy championship this year, which is kind of, you know, part of the reason, you know, we, we wanted to talk as well, because as Jamie pointed out, it's a real good time for American rallying. And, and you know, it's coming down to the last two rounds and very tight between those two guys, you know, so it's a, it must be a very exciting place to be at the moment as well. And, and as yeah. well, it's that Ken's car, which is, which is a, an impressive bit of kit. And as you say, you know, it has the advantage of the paddle shift and, and is you know it's not far removed from the previous regulations of world rally care to almost give you guys a a good push on yeah that it is a it is a fantastic championship um if you really really study the stage times when ken has a clean run uh i think there is advantage in that car and its ability to um very efficiently put the power to the ground right um it's it's tough our cars are longer uh, the wheelbase is just longer. Um, and while we have more displacement than that Hyundai WRC car, we don't have the development work into, you know, uh, shift cuts and damper technology. And I mean, hell, our, our current rally car still has standard Subaru STI uprights. You know what I mean? There, it's People think our car is, is real close to a WRC car. And, and, and it does look that way because it is such a close championship. And I'm treading on thin ice right now, but, but I'll be honest that there are still factory components in our car uh, and our boys have to push hard. I think the best way to understand it uh, for someone who really understands the sport is that where Ken maybe can, can put in a, a winning stage time driving 90%, our boys to match that are at 110% taking risks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where that is. And, and, that's that can be okay at times that's rallying and you have to be you have to have the ability and the 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 wherewithal to push at that 110 percent. but it shouldn't be every single time you start and go or you know something will happen at some point it's why can it's why travis had his off at a jibboy you know he Mm -hmm. he just pushed too hard and and the note was uh maybe not absolutely perfect it was a left uh uh, left four minus, uh, stay out essentially don't cut. And, uh, that crown on that road and the tightening of, of the minus in that corner and the pace he was trying to push for that stage win, it just, you know, none of it came together and he, and he went off. Um, 
and these things happen you know he, so he handled himself really well didn't he on that because i mean it wasn't that incident about four corners in from the first stage and uh, didn't he sort of basically immediately run back and and warn everyone else that you know yeah. not only was his rally over that is effectively his championship had been dealt a, a pretty hefty blow yeah he um that's travis though it really is um he's able to compartmentalize and put you know disappointment in a corner uh and and focus on you know the best for anybody else people he may be competing with or or not um so yeah he ran back they had their triangles out they hit uh you know the the right buttons on us on uh rally safe and he told every single competitor and you know they're all focused on their own thing and they're like why is travis standing here but (laughs) he's uh that's who he is and uh, he wants the best for everyone. And, and I, uh, I respect the hell out of him for that. So top guy. Yeah. How committed uh, going forward? And so we, we probably t- need to touch on the 2023 rule changes in a minute, but um, how committed going forward is Subaru USA to, to you guys at Vermont sports care and the championship as a whole? Uh, you know, I'm not sure there's a better, uh, relationship in motorsport between than there is between Vermont Sports Car and Subaru. Um, they've seen the vision. They've supported Lance and Vermont Sports Car since uh, since basically 05, 06. Um, and they're seeing that vision through. They've got that they've got that line item in their budgeting to say we want to go racing, uh, whether that's rally or um, rally cross or Jim Connor videos. Uh, this is a big part of our marketing plan. And uh, so they're they're pushing onward with it. Um, we were nervous when the STI line was going to be dropped. Of course. Um, but that's okay. I mean, the WRX is still there. They sell more WRXs than they did STIs anyway, and and uh, it's still a rally bred chassis. That's what their that's what their mantra is. That's what they want to go with, and uh, we'll support them as much as we can. Um, you know, it's it, the conversations that are had between Subaru and Vermont Sports Car and the series that we race in to make sure, you know, everybody gets, you know, something they need out of all of this. Um, those those conversations take place pretty much every day. Um, you know, Chris Yandel, our CMO at Vermont Sports Car and Lance uh, are a fantastic team. They, they work with Subaru to make sure that um, we get what we need and, and, they, and they get what they need and, and it makes sense. Um, they push on hard, man. I got to tell you, it's, that's why we still exist. I'd hazard a guess that um, Subaru's, uh, you know, continued involvement in America in rallying on stateside is one of the things that both rally fans in Europe are most envious of, to be honest, you know, over here, we all clamor for the return of, of Subaru to rallying. And it's, I mean, it's great to see them still involved on a, you know, in America, but, we all want them back on a worldwide scale. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't really see that from the state side. Um, I can imagine it being the case. Mm. We see a lot of those types of comments on the social media game. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we don't. We've tried to go to Europe a few times, um, not to compete in WRC, but, um, you know, to be a fast O car for WCGB or, um, bring our cars to the world rally cross championship, that kind of thing. Uh, I think the hindrance really is that these inline transverse engine cars and their wheelbase and their volume, um, and their, the cooperation that the FIA has with those other manufacturers just doesn't make sense for Subaru. It's too much of a headache and a problem, um, to try and make the Subaru Impreza in its current, current form fit into those regulations. It's just hard, including the boxer engine. Um, and then the other, the other area uh, where it doesn't make sense is that Vermont sports cars budget comes from Subaru of America, not Subaru global. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I mean, that's everything, right? It's a big one. Um, that's literally why our combustion engine rallycross cars from last year did not compete in the first several events of nitro rallycross in Europe this year. Because it just didn't make sense for Subaru of America to spend that money to send our cars over to Europe, especially in this economic climate where it's like so expensive to move things around the world at the moment. So, you know, we decided, hey, we're going to focus with these cars back stateside. So that's an example. That's a small example of where Vermont Sports Car would love to bring those cars there. But this is Subaru of America's money and we all have to play nicely together. And, you know, there's a give and a take everywhere. So that's... uh, that's one example of that 
that piece of it. So looking forward then to, to 2023 and, and these rule changes and what's presumably for you guys a new car in the shape of the new WRX. Um, mm-hmm. is, is there, I guess you guys are well, well along the way of development on that and there are fairly substantial rule changes in the open four-wheel drive class from what I can what I've been reading anyway certainly um all this uh, a lot of the, the aero certainly is going to take a big a big blow from what I can make out yeah um there's there's a several parts to this to this part of the conversation um I think it's important to remember that it's the 60 other cars in the championship that make up what the championship really is. That's the meat of the championship. So to mm-hmm. focus a rule set specifically for the top three cars, maybe four, if Barry shows up, uh, it's, it's kind of unfair to everybody else. You know, they don't have, they're not going to touch that on budget and ability uh, to, to make, make a car like that. So um, it ran for a number of years. Open class was open class. And, and uh, we were, we built the cars we had and people started showing up with cars to beat us. And, uh, the worry was that it was going to become an arms race, you know, uh, which it kind of has here at the end of this year with the development work we've been forced into with, with our current cars, uh, with Ken's car showing up. So the long-term conversation, even before Ken showed up with the Honda WRC car, uh, was that, hey, let's, let's look globally and try and pull the reins back a little bit on this championship. Uh, everything is R- R5 Rally 2 right now. Uh, that you can you know if you've got the money you can go overseas you can buy one of these uh rally two r5 cars and bring it to the u.s and and we want those people to be competitive in the u.s championship yes it is flashy to have these wrc cars and it's garnering a lot of attention uh worldwide to watch this championship and see because everybody wants to see the you know a wrc car on stage it's fantastic but you had to keep in mind the good of the championship for everybody else all those entry fees that are showing up to play in the dirt are what's funding this series you know continuing along with subaru's sponsorship um so it just it became a thing it was like hey we need to align with what is more available worldwide uh so let's do this let's make a championship that is more R5 uh, rally two oriented. Um, the catch and what's very tricky is that the U S doesn't want to uh, become an FIA championship for a million reasons. We've just got such an eclectic uh, assortment of cars over here. You know, guys are building cars in their home garage and they want to go rally. You know, it's a different, it's a different thing in the States than it is in, in Europe with, with uh, the FIA, you know, homologated championships. So that was the, that's the trickiest part. How do you align globally with R5 level of performance while keeping happy people in the States who have invested a lot of money in cars that don't fit that, 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 you know, rule set per se. So it forced the hand of the ARA um, management to create rules going into next year that are, let's say, just throwing numbers at a wall, 90% R5, right? And that last 10% is, is where you're allowed to play with displacement versus, uh, you know, a, a weight penalty or keep the wing on the ST on the Subaru car, you know, for the visual of it, um, but not allow you know, the aerodynamics to grow outside of a certain, you know, standard, a certain box, a certain percentage. And that that's hard. You know, how do you, if you draw a box, right, the Subaru falls outside of that box. So any arrow that we would put on the Subaru would be outside the rules. So then you say, well, if that's the box, then a Fiesta shows up and they have to fit in that box, they could have a 10 foot wing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the trick. So how do you do that? Well, then you do it on percentages and you have to find, you know, commonality points in a chassis. Is it from the center of the wheel forward? You know, is it from the center line of the car outward? Is that fair across the board if one car is bigger than the other car anyway? Um, you know, those types of things. And then, you know, full disclosure, the Subaru, just like we can't go to Europe and race very well with FIA rule sets, if we carried those rule sets, you know, word for word back stateside and created the championship around that, 
we're only alienating ourselves from the championship, you know? So it has to, it, it, it was tricky, man. It's been real tricky trying to, to help everybody create a rule set that'll work for next year. And I think they've done a good job. I think, I think we're going to have a good championship and I really hope um, that the Europeans that are looking at what next year could be, will see an opportunity to come stateside with their, with their homologated, you know, European cars and be competitive right out of the gate. That is the whole entire purpose. It's the whole goal of the rules that are being made for next year is to attract that attention from Europe and get people over here. We don't want people to see Travis and Brandon in, in the Subaru cars and think, I'm not going to go to us. I'll never beat those guys. I mean, that was literally the point in creating this new rule set is to say, have them look at this and say, Hey, I got a shot. I want to go over there and I want to play in that sandbox, you know? And I suppose you need to do that without diluting what makes the American rally scene so unique and special, which is yeah, the battle. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's, that's what's so, so damn tricky. It's why it's why it's kind of this R5 plus, right? It's, it's R5 cars, maybe a little bit more displacement if you want it, maybe a little bit more arrow if you want it within certain parameters. Um, just, tr- just, we just, we just, nobody wants to see the championship became, become an arms race. We're trying not to allow it to be everybody show up with the, the latest WRC car um, and, and have at it because, you know, there's other sides from the organizational side too. Um, you've got insurance that's a pretty stringent around the states. You've got average road speeds that are can be very high on certain events. I mean, hundred acre wood is top of six gear all the time. Um, you know, it's it's tough. It's the roads, the roads get wider and straighter every year. So if the cars get faster and faster, you can see that you're heading in the wrong direction there. So we have to we have to be realistic about you know current technology and current roads and have everybody come and play yeah. nice and compete for a championship. We don't want it to just be Subaru. Honest to God, we don't, we don't want to just win the championship every year and not have any competition. We want more Europeans to come over. We want more stateside money to be able to buy European cars and bring them in. That's so important. It's, it's incredibly important because you don't have multiple Vermont sports cars in the States. You don't have, you know, manufacturers building cars stateside. All of that already exists in the, in Europe. So if it already exists, create a rule book where people with money in the States can buy those cars and bring them over here and race them. You know what I mean? It's just a better, it's a better financial situation for everybody. Which leads me to, to a question that, that, uh, that I had, um, do you see like if this rule set pulls that off and makes it you know more more competitive across a larger field attracts more people from outside and if they're bringing european cars it means they're different manufacturers and brands would you mm-hmm. see the prospect of another manufacturer backing another team or entry in the ARA uh, in the way that Subaru USA has um so Ken will be back with Hyundai I'm pretty sure of that um so I would consider that uh, to be a pretty high level uh, with some manufacturer money. I'm just making that up, but it, that's the kind of the, uh, the, that's the optics of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He's going to be competing against Subaru. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see Toyota come over with something. I, you know, not their WRC car, maybe that doesn't fit in the rule set, but something that will, um, you know, we know Tommy and, and all those guys. And we, we obviously know the people in Europe and the big, the big teams. And we're always, you know, we've, the door's open, the conversation's open. Let's have, let's talk about it. Let's, let's do this. Um, I think you guys are probably aware that we're also trying to get a WRC event stateside. Um, so that's been a long time coming. You beat me to the next question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I figured as much. It kind of ties in well with, with all this talk. Um, it's been a long time coming. Um, there's been a lot of meetings. I mean, not even this year, but the, the year previous, Travis and I had meetings with uh, with WRC folk at Goodwood to talk about locations and what they've come up with and, you know, what Travis's thoughts were on it. Um, they lean heavily on Ken and Travis and Derek and Lance uh, to discuss locations and, and time frame. You know, all of that it needs to make sense. 
uh, where the good roads are. They don't see, there's so many, there's so many things and it's a little bit outside of my scope. Um, but my understanding is they don't want to just inherit a U.S. round, you know, going back to Olympus. Yeah. There's history there and, and the roads are fantastic and you can easily shut them down and, and whatnot. But is that a big enough splash in the, in the world? Like, is that a big enough thing or is it just become the story of returning to Olympus? Right. Mm-hmm. What if you did something else? What if you did a round on the East coast that is a whole new look, a whole new uh, metropolitan area, a whole new set of eyes looking at this form of racing. That's not very, you know, okay. It's sort of popular in the U S but it's not at the top at, by any stretch of the imagination, but you bring it to those, to those eyeballs, you know? And so they're working hard. I know all those people are working super hard at, at securing that round. Um, we had hopes of doing a regional version of it this fall. Um, and that just hasn't worked out with, uh, staffing and schedules and, and what they need on their side to make that happen. But certainly looking forward to, to next year being, you know, that trial round so that the following year we can have a diversity round. Fingers crossed there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I believe me. I'd love it. And, you know, Travis and Ken want to compete in it, you know, too. And so it's uh, a lot of momentum. You just got to make it land. So. Lots of work to be done behind the scenes as well. I don't doubt. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. People are working hard on it for sure. Because I imagine the, the tricky part, uh, you know, especially for for you guys at, at Vermont as well, in particular, amongst others, is that if it's a WRC round that's then FIA governed and you guys want to compete in it, your cars, how will it yeah. make your cars conform then to be actually allowed on the same stage with those? Is obviously <laughs> guys, the tricky one. You guys are smart. Um, yeah, that's that's a conversation. Uh, if If this had happened sooner, uh, and we were racing the rallying the car the cars we have right now, that would be a little more difficult. Um, I know for a fact some of the conversation has been, yeah, we'll help you get a U.S. round, but we want to race our, we want to rally our cars in there. Uh, the FIA doesn't want to see a U.S. bred car winning stages against their championship cars. I mean, that's just a fact, and I'm not saying it would. We've actually tried to say, listen, we're not going to touch, you know, Rovampera and with our current car at all. It's just not going to happen. Um, but that's that. It's one thing to say, and it's it's another for them to take the risk to allow that opportunity to maybe to happen. So, I don't have a good answer for you. I don't know what that looks like when that round actually hits the U.S. in a couple of years. What we're going to be rallying at that time and. And how that's going to work. I know our guys would like to be in their own equipment. It's what they know. It's what they're comfortable with. Vermont wants to campaign what they are running. It makes sense. Um, but I think that conversation is still in progress. So, Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll let you go on, on that note, Dan. I think it's as good a place as any to, to end it. And I'm conscious we don't want to take up too much more of your time but before we do i do have a question from a listener who's uh who grew up in vermont and he wants mm-hmm. to know does john buffham still party harder and drive faster than anyone else working for vermont sports care <laughs> oh man so uh what does travis's shirt say i just want to party with buffham something like that <laughs> yeah. um that guy goes hard in the paint man he's he's all there um he has he's relaxed a bit since covid hit yeah, we actually saw him back in the in the community uh, at New England Forest Rally, not with the Vermont Sports Car team, but with uh, with the organi- organizational side. He was running the course opening car for the event, and it was fantastic to have him out there and, and see him at the bar and, and have a good time. So, Buffum is a is an absolute legend, and uh, personally, just just uh, I would love to see him maybe run Anton Lestage again in some some type of equipment i don't know that that'll ever happen again but i would love to see that now true legend of the sport over there for sure yeah (laughs) Yeah. well dan thanks very much for for chatting to us it's been a a very uh, enlightening talk it's great to talk about uh, i i'm really interested in uh, watching american rallying evolve and kind of grow from sitting over here in our kind of um or comfy european spoiled 
rally world over here. I, I, but I really enjoy watching it change and, and, and how healthy the championship is and the prospect of a, a WRC round is, is very tantalizing. I'd really like to see it happen, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a, it's been a great chat. Jamie? Absolutely. If you guys want to chat again, if you want to, you know, the season ends and however it kind of turns out, if you want some behind the scenes stuff on, on all of it, I'm happy to talk whenever. For sure. Sorry, and really that'd be great. It, Dan. Thank you very much, mate. It's a uh, superb insight. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much, Dan. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Um... Mm-hmm.